Who would have believed it? The place in Ukraine that produced rockets to destroy the human race. One of the strategic centers of the old evil empire of communism allowed us to use their 6,500 seat auditorium to proclaim the everlasting gospel. And people say the days of miracles are past. This vast building right in the center of Nepropetrovsk, it took me six months to learn how to say it, Nepropetrovsk. See, when I was a little boy, I couldn't speak at all. I was seven, eight, or nine, or ten before I could speak. So these words are difficult for me. This building, the Palace of Sport, was erected for one purpose, they will tell you, as a substitute for God and the preaching of the Bible. The communists believed that if they glorified sport and human endeavor and human achievement, people would soon forget him. We have just returned from marvelous meetings that saw the largest crowds in the history of that auditorium. And these crowds came not to watch football or wrestling or the gladiators fighting, but they came to hear the Bible. In fact, those crowds were the largest crowds in the history of Nepropetrovsk. We've seen it many times and we saw it again. People have asked me the question, is the latter rain falling? We know what the latter rain is, don't we? It's the outpouring of the Spirit of God in the last days. They say, one day it's going to be great when it happens. But I ask the question, is the latter rain falling? And I'm going to answer that today. But firstly, my wife Beverly, who came with us, of course, who believes that a loving touch will convey God's love better than a million words. Would you please welcome my wife Beverly here today. Thank you. She has a great story to share with you today. In Psalm 10, verses 17 and 18, we read, You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry. You will hear the cries of the oppressed and the orphans. The Bible clearly teaches that this is a work we Christians must do. The Carter Report Ministry, like many other ministries, believes in a dual mission, to preach the gospel and to help the needy. Once again, this time in Nepropetrovsk, we had the opportunity of visiting two orphanages and one hospital. In the hospital, our young people delivered flowers with love and encouraging words to many patients. At one orphanage, we gave out some beautiful toys for the younger children and some much-needed games and sports equipment for the older ones. The other orphanage was in need of some summer shoes, and we were glad to be able to buy nearly 100 pairs of good quality sneakers. Now, shopping for these things was something else. We had to go to a number of open-air markets in very heavy rain to find enough of them and also to find good quality ones. It was quite an experience. Because of a lack of enough financial support from the government, the children seldom have fruit in their diet. So we bought them boxes of apples, oranges, and bananas. A highlight this time was giving them each a photo. This was the idea of Bob Ludwig, one of our Carter Report directors, who brought along a Polaroid camera. The little children were just so thrilled and somewhat amazed to see a photo of themselves for the very first time. I'm just glad we didn't run out of film, otherwise I think we would have had a riot on our hands. At both orphanages, they presented a delightful concert for us with some of the children dressed in national costume. 
Two people who were a tremendous blessing to the whole program were the Ukrainian youth leaders, Pastor Valeri and his lovely wife, Tatiana. For the first three weeks, they worked with our television crew, and the last week they spent with me. They both have a great burden for young people, and they especially have a real concern and desire to nurture the several hundred youth who were baptized. For a conference that covers a population of over 10 million people, Pastor Valeri receives about $2,000 a year. Now, we're about halfway through, and up until this time, he's received about $60. Because of the generosity of a number of my dear friends, I was able to buy them some camping equipment. They are big on youth camps, and they do run them extremely well. We were also able to buy them a large number of songbooks and Desire of Ages, Steps to Christ, and an excellent Christian book on dealing with sickness and depression. On one of my daily walks down the main street, I came across the usual parade of women sitting or standing on the sidewalk, selling their little collection of flowers to make money to buy food. Some of them had lovely bunches of a variety of blooms, while others who had less money to buy seed only had small posies. On this particular day, I saw a lady who was probably in her early 50s holding two pitiful bunches. She wasn't sitting, she didn't have a box, and she wasn't really standing, but she was leaning against a tree. And it was obvious that she was sick and very, very tired. Fortunately, I had some money on her, which I gave. I didn't take the flowers because I thought, well, she could sell those to someone else and make some more money. As I looked at this poor dear woman, I thought of the millions in the former Soviet Union who, like her, are sick and tired of it all. But thank God there is still a balm in Gilead, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who can remove the guilt and the painful memories of the past. The one who can lessen the hopelessness of the present with the promise of a glorious future with Christ in heaven. That's the reason we keep going. That's the reason we keep inviting you to help us. And I want to thank you for your wonderful and amazing response these past few months. Dear friends, may God help us to continue to advance his kingdom in the former Soviet Union. Well, here's the question, is the latter rain falling? Would you please open your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Joel, which is found in the Old Testament, my dear friends. Book of Joel, chapter 2, and verse 28 and onwards. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, chapter 2, and it's verse 28 and onwards, and I'm reading from the NIV. The Bible says, and afterward... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. As you would know, in the Middle East, you have the early rain that starts the crop going. And then towards the end of the growing season, you have the latter rain. And so the latter rain prepares the crop for the harvest. This symbolism is used in the Bible to describe the coming of the Spirit of God upon his people at the commencement of the Christian era 
but particularly at the close of the Christian era. And the Bible teaches that before Jesus comes, the Spirit of God is going to be poured out in a remarkable way upon people who love him and who trust in him. The Bible makes it plain that we are living in the time of the harvest. And I believe that God's spirit, like the rain that falls in old Israel, is being poured out today. I do not believe that we should have this mentality that the great days of the church are still to come. I believe that the greatest days of the church are already here and they have come upon us. The Bible tells us we are to expect it and I believe that we can see it today. I wonder, what is the greatest sign? Some people have a notion it's the return of the Jews to Palestine, that's the great sign. Other people say it's political commotion, earthquakes and pestilences, even the mark of the beast or the great prophecy about the Antichrist. These are the great signs. But the Bible does not teach this. The Bible tells us that there is one great sign. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to the words of Jesus, please, to Matthew chapter 24. And verse 14, this chapter is called the little apocalypse because it deals with eschatological themes. Matthew 24 and verse 14, this is the clearest, the greatest, and the surest sign of them all. Matthew chapter 24, and it is verse 14, our blessed Lord said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. The greatest sign, my friend, is the preaching of the love of God and the preaching of the everlasting gospel and the preaching of the atoning death of our Savior upon the cross because when that has been done all around the world, then the Lord is going to return. Nepropetrovsk is a city of 1.4 million souls. It is 250 miles east of Kiev where we ran a large campaign in 1995. Like Kiev, it is seated beside the mighty Dnieper River. It is a hard industrial city. It contains a tremendous rocket factory. I think it perhaps could be the largest rocket factory, at least one of the largest rocket factories in the world. It is a factory where for many, many years they produced rockets to destroy America and the rest of the Western world. It is also not only a production center for rockets still today, it is a city of contrast. You have great wealth and you have great poverty. You'll see homes in Nepropetrovsk that are going up that would sit down quite nicely in Bel Air or Beverly Hills. You have the new Russians and the new Ukrainians, mainly the mafia, about half of 1%, but the rest of the people are in poverty. The sidewalks are filled with people. The streets are filled with cars. You'll count more Beamers and Mercedes probably per square mile than you will here. The main street is still called Karl Marx Street, though he would not approve of what is going on. But he doesn't know, so who cares? <laughs> if you have money, anything is available in Nepropetrovsk. If you turn on the television, it is not unsophisticated as it was in the days of the communists. They have slick television programs and slick television commercials just like they have in America. In the year 1992, just after the collapse of communism, my friend James Gilley, great preacher, came to this city and started to build the kingdom of God and had great success. And we came to build upon the platform that Jim had laid by the grace of God. Many people wondered 
including me. Would anybody still be interested? There was a tremendous interest when communism fell, but changing times bring changing attitudes. And so people said to me, don't expect that you're going to see it as it was. You've had tremendous baptisms over there, but don't expect that this is going to last. We commenced May 12 on a Saturday, just a few weeks ago. We commenced with two sessions. How can I describe it? The people outside pushing on the doors, the glass doors being shattered. We had another two sessions on the Sunday, four opening sessions. I thought we had 25,000 people in attendance. Folks said to me, no, because every aisle was taken. The foyer was packed. People, people, every seat was taken. People were sitting behind me. 30,000 at least came to hear the word of God. The largest crowds in the history of that city. And as I preached, the amazing and wonderful thing was not a stir, not even a cough, not a movement. We commenced, as we always do, with biblical archaeology. And I have here somewhere, I think, at least some of our advertising. This is our opening handbill we had distributed by loyal Christian brothers and sisters, 500,000 of these. As you can see, of course, they're written in Russian. And there's the great palace of spot on the back page. My team, led by David and Don, did tremendous television and radio announcements. And the people came in tremendous droves, and the hunger for the Word of God was truly amazing. The best meeting after we had laid a foundation to give people reason to believe. You see, my friend, God is not an unreasonable God. He expects that we will believe because we have reason to believe. And a blind faith is not what God offers to any person. God does not want us to have a blind faith in blindness. He wants us to have faith in the truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. And so for nights we presented evidence from the world of prophecy and the world of archaeology to spellbound audiences. But after we had laid this foundation, I will never forget the best meeting, the meeting when I preached on Jesus. And I talked about the cross. And I told them how God sent his own son into this world. And then we had an altar call. How can I describe it to your hearts? When you see thousands of people who were atheists and communists get up out of their seats and not walk down the front, but run down the front with tears streaming down their faces, some of them with their hands raised to heaven, crying out, Spasiba, Spasiba, which means thank you. I want you folks to know one thing, that the blood has not lost its power. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The greatest power in this universe is the power of the everlasting gospel. And I'm here to testify today that the blood has not lost its power. Susie P. Rhino, who was a very special assistant in this ministry to Beverly and me, is going to come and tell you her impressions. She came with other members of our team. Susie, we're glad you came. Thank you. Good morning and happy Sabbath. It's great to be back home. But as Pastor Carter was sharing with you, we've been to Russia many times, and I've had the privilege and the honor of going six or seven times now. And every time, it's a renewal of commitment and dedication because, as he says, there is power in the blood. And when you get to witness that firsthand, there's nothing more soul-filling than to see 25,000 people all come in, hear the gospel, stand, hear the seats. The seats 
pull up as everybody stood for prayer for the first time. And as Pastor Carter read John 3.16 to them, they heard for the first time that there is a God that loves them. And to see a group of deaf people, to the left of us there was a large group of, of deaf people that were there night after night with someone that was signing to them. And one night Pastor Carter was preaching on the love of God and he looked over to them and he said, one day you're all gonna be able to hear because God is there and he loves you. And it's just amazing to be a part of that and to witness that. And I thank God that he gives us that opportunity. And I thank you for allowing us to be part of a great work. And I pray that one day you will be there with us because it's an experience that um, it's hard to put into words and to share with you. But it does change your life and it makes us come home and say, thank God that you're alive and that there is power in your blood. Thank you so much. Amen. God bless you, Susie. Another dear friend who has come many times is Ron Barclay. Ron, we're glad that you came with us. Just tell us from your heart what happened to you, please. I've been given a couple of seconds to say something that would take me hours. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Think about that. That in itself is a miracle. This is my fifth trip with Pastor Carter, and I witnessed yet another miracle. I saw almost 1,300 miracles. Each night when these folks came to the meetings, I watched their faces. I saw the intensity with which they were absorbing the love of Christ. They learned of Jesus. They learned of salvation. They learned that they could have eternal life. From that, I witnessed their commitment through baptism. The first baptism that we had, what we held, was in the big Olympic pool. I saw little folks that had learned of Jesus and given their lives to him. Their mommies and daddies, the teenagers, the old people, specifically one poor dear old babushka could hardly walk. It took four men to help her into the pool and to baptize her. But I watched through my camera on telephoto as she went down, dying her old, in her old life, coming up, a child of God. What a blessing. It's a miracle. A week later, I never thought I could see anything that would surpass that. We went to the Nepra River, and as these folks went out on the river, I could picture in my mind's eye, Jesus in his baptism coming up out of that river. A new life, a new person, hope. They've been steeped in atheism and communism for over 70 years. In their minds, Christ was dead. He's now been made alive in their hearts, and as a result, they are now made alive in his heart. Thank you for your support of this ministry. Only when we get to heaven will you know what you've done, what God has done through you. Thank you so very much. Another very wonderful person who came with us is a dear friend from our church, Rose Westry. Glad that you came with us, Rose. You are a blessing. Thank you, Pastor Carter, and I thank you for having me. This was the greatest experience of my life. When Ron comes up and sheds his tears, I understand. That opening night was, no matter how many testimonies you hear from us, the tears we shed, the uh, videos you see, nothing, nothing prepares you for what you witness. I saw the Holy Spirit at work. When the crowds came in, pushing in, so hungry. You know, we have to beg people to come up to the front, to sit in front. These people run in. 
the little ones sitting there with their little faces so intent, attentive little ones. They don't have to have Crayolas or markers or candy or cookies to keep them entertained. I got pictures to show you where they're sitting just listening so intently. Then I saw the miracle of the Holy Spirit come upon Pastor Carter and Vadim. Amazing. Two sessions of these people standing up. They're, they're not sitting. They're standing. My dear friend Teddy and I were holding hands and we're praying, God, please keep peace in this place because it would be chaotic to see this thousands of people just standing there if anything should happen. But you know, God is so good. We saw these people so intent and their faces so hungry. Two sessions to see these men come out and with the intensity that they're preaching the word of God, it just changed my life completely. I'm walking behind the scenes with Beverly praying in the back of the, of the curtains. And you know, God is answering and helping this ministry because of the prayers of his people. Beverly prays the whole time that he's preaching. And there's a lot of people. And I'm walking in the back. I noticed this door was open a little bit. I picked in. And there on the floor, kneeling on the cement floor, were ladies that prayed the whole time that he was preaching. So amazing to see the love of God in this people's hearts and the wanting to see their own people saved for the kingdom. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. Bless you, Rose. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A new member of this congregation is a special person, Tom Mayhew, and also has a special wife and special son. Tom, thank you. Allow me to quote the first verse from Proverbs chapter 8, reading from the King James. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? I believe that wisdom would cry out to us to use our time, treasures, and talents that the Lord has blessed us with for the most important eternal purposes. When we find a ministry fulfilling the Great Commission with excellence, I believe we should get behind that work in whatever way that we can. I witnessed with my very own eyes the great outpouring of God's Holy Spirit upon these people that attended the meetings, and I got to see so much fruit, it's hard to share one thing, but I will. What impressed me the most was one particular man who I noticed because it took four men to raise him out of the waters. And uh, when they stood him up to walk, he could barely do so because of a terrible problem with his legs. I am certain that it's Pastor Carter's questions on our last night together that really gave him the courage and conviction to get baptized, to face his obvious limitations and fears. There are many others that have non-physical problems and hindrances that also got over that, got over their, their barrier and got baptized. You never get tired of seeing people get baptized. And uh, I saw almost 1,300 of them. It, uh, uh, what communism tried to crush, namely the human spirit, Jesus Christ has raised to new life through the preaching of the everlasting gospel. Does not wisdom cry out that we should support the worthy work of evangelism? Yes, it does. And I can attest firsthand that the Carter Report is an integrous ministry that is dedicated to winning souls and glorifying Christ. So thank you for making this possible. Thank you for... God bless you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Let me tell you some great stories. And I'm so glad these dear friends of mine came with many others as well. We express our thanks to each one of them. Let me tell you about the transformed transformer. We got there on Thursday night. It's a long flight. It took us two days to get there, actually. The meeting started on Saturday, and so we had Friday for all the preparation. When the men went down to fire up the projectors, we have big xenon arc projectors. They have to go, of course, through a transformer because the power there is double the power that it is in the States. And when Bob Ludwig turned on the transformer, Bob comes as a volunteer. It's just a, a mighty blessing to us. And when he turned on the transformer, it just kicked out. They turned on the projectors, the transformer would come in, and then as soon as the power came on the projectors, they would just cut out. So I got down there at 6 in the evening, 
and our men were looking at them and Bob was, had his cell phone and had called New York. It's a great thing when you use a cell phone over there and call New York. So he called the manufacturer and they had no idea how to fix the generator. If we did not fix the generator, we had 30,000 people coming in the next two days. Remember the meetings went for a full month, but the next two days we had 30,000 people who'd be breaking down the doors and we had no program. We got around in a little huddle and we just prayed and we said, God, we can't fix this thing. The manufacturer can't fix it. And Bob came and Bob is very unassuming and he's a laid back Californian. And after the prayer, he said, let me try if I can rewire this. This is a huge thing. Let me see if I can rewire this. So we turned it off, pulled out the power supply. I've got a screwdriver and did some rewiring and I had already left. And as I was getting in my car to go back to the hotel, some of the team came running up to me and they said, it's working, it's working. The transformer that the manufacturer couldn't finish, it's working. The projectors are working. This may seem a little thing to you, but when you come down to the wire, when it's success or failure, then you see the evident intervention of God. Let me, so that's the story of the transformed transformer. My second story is the Bible versus a boxing match. The president of Ukraine decided to basically just take over the auditorium without our permission. You see, you're living in countries where they don't operate the same as most of us operate here. And he was having a summit with the president of Poland and I think some other country, I think it was Lithuania or one of those countries. And to celebrate their summit of these three nations that was being held in Nepropetrovsk, they decided that they would put on the, a gladiatorial show in the Palace of Sport where we were holding the meetings, except it was not called the gladiators, it was called a boxing match. So they came, took over the hall, and we had to leave for a day, but it worked out quite okay. They did extensive advertising, and Vadim said to me, I think I will go. He told me, can you believe it? Vadim said, I used to be a boxer. I said, come on, Vadim, you ought to be kidding. <laughs> Maybe a wrestler, but not a boxer. So he and some of our pastors we were all given free tickets to go. We could meet the president of the country if we so decided. Some of us decided not to go for good reason, but some of our men went along just to see what was happening. After they went along, incidentally, they spent that evening down beside the Dnieper River praying and confessing their sins and saying, God, this was no place where we should have been. They went into this place that the government, here we've got like three presidents, three countries. They got a boxing match. Heaps and heaps of advertising. You know how many people came? 3,000 people. 3,000 people. To the same place, 30,000 people came just for the opening weekend to hear the word of God. I want to tell you folks something. There is nothing that compares to the power of the word of God. That's why Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You know the greatest tragedy in this land of America? America is the most religious country in the world. But Americans, we in this part of the world, do not know the Bible. It is a book that is seldom read and seldom studied. If you will open this book and read the words and let the words get into your soul, you will find it is the power of God. My third story is pollution, cancer, and the death of man. There's a world of difference between a person who believes in God and a person who believes in nothing. The communists believed in nothing. And because they believed in nothing, they did not believe in people. 
the old Soviet cities are the most polluted places on the face of the earth. I wish every unbeliever, every agnostic in this, every cynic in this country could go and see what atheism has done in those countries. I was astounded some time back. I was running some meetings in Glendale and after talking in some of these subjects, a man stayed behind and he said, I want to tell you what I do. I said, I'm glad, tell me. He said, I am an American communist. I, 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 I said, let me look at you. This is an, an American communist? Have you been there? Have you been to Russia? Have you been to Ukraine? No, no, but it's a wonderful system. We ought to have it here. Fadim told me about Krasnoyarsk, where he lives, this young 25-year-old filled-with-the-spirit evangelist. When planes come into Krasnoyarsk, all of their gyros, whatever they're using, go haywire. You know why? 20 miles north of the city where Vadim lives, they have a nuclear stockpile of nuclear garbage. And the Russians are making money from every nuclear power in the world, and they're sending the stuff over there to poison that part of the world. And people are dying like flies with disease. We commenced a church and built a building for the new believers in the city of Dzinsk, which is named after the founder of the KGB, Dzinsky. A young couple went there, Anatoly and his lovely wife, Nadia, to look after our new interests. Nadia has come down with an awful disease. It is the result of the pollution that exists in that city. The average age or the age of death, the life expectancy of the average Russian in Dzinsk is 44 years. And people everywhere are coming down with cancers because of the pollution. Nadia was our cook. She took care of Beverly and me in a very wonderful way. Her husband who earns, no, he doesn't earn it, he is paid by the church $44 a month as a pastor, took his wife over to Germany and spent their life savings and everything else that they could find, $1,000 for a backyard job where a surgeon worked on his wife unsuccessfully. While she was there with us, she had to be rushed, rushed to hospital. If she has not helped this beautiful 34-year-old Ukrainian pastor's wife who loves God and who works for God is going to die a slow agonizing death. And she is one of a million. We're going to bring her to this country. We hope that we can find doctors and medical personnel who will join with us in working to save Nadia's life. You say to me, but you're a fool if you think you can change the world. God has never told any of us by ourselves to change the world, but he has told us to change the lives of those whom God puts in our care. Amen. Nadia has been placed in our care and we want you to join with us in Project Nadia. Deaf ears that hear, one of the team members told you about the deaf people who were sitting there night by night listening to the word. And then to see these people baptized, these folks getting the message through sign language and then to see them go out into the water, a great company of them, and see them baptized. Let me tell you something, which is the most politically incorrect statement to make. The church in North America is a dying church. You say, I don't believe it. Well, you don't know the facts. The statistics, the church is a dying church. Isn't it growing? No, it is going backwards. And even it's going backwards when we don't count the apostasies. It's still going backwards. What we need, let me look you in the eye, is a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God. 
And we need a religion that is based upon the word of God. If it can work in Russia and Ukraine, don't tell me it cannot work here. Is God a different God to the God who saves people there? The man with no legs. As I would drive or be driven there each night, Beverly and I would see a man on a little platform with tiny little wheels, no legs at all, probably a, a soldier from Afghanistan, forsaken entirely by the government. They don't care about people. They don't care about cancers. The bosses, the old communists now, are the bosses still. They can get on the latest jets and they can fly anywhere with suitcases of dollars. But the average person has got nothing. I saw this man brought by his wife. She pulled him with a strap. I also saw the people, the pastors, carry him down into the water and baptize him. One day, he's going to be saved eternally in the kingdom with new legs. I saw him baptized with another 1,290 precious souls. What I'm going to tell you now, I want, I want that this will sink down into your ears. The coming storm. When I was a young man, I earned my fees to go to college and seminary by driving a tractor in North Queensland. And North Queensland is the equivalent to Florida. The further north you go in Australia, the hotter it gets, and the further south you go, the colder it gets. And so as a young boy of 15, I went up to North Queensland. I drove a bulldozer for up to 16 hours a day out in the tropical sun. And there's something about the tropics which is almost terrifying because when the wet season comes, when the monsoons come, you have tremendous storms. And at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock every afternoon, you see what looks like a fluorescent tube about to blow. You see the lightning on the horizon. And then, as you're driving over the roar of the bulldozer, you can hear the thunder, the muttering. And then there comes a tremendous storm with lightning, wind, and rain. I believe that in those countries, as in America, we can see the coming storm. Vitelli is a Russian pastor and is not a friend of mine, but a great friend of mine. He drives me everywhere. He is a friend of mine. He looks after me. Just recently, he told me he went to a big conference, an international conference with representatives from America. A religious conference in the city of Moscow, which was sponsored by the Russian Orthodox Church, which incidentally is the biggest importer of alcohol and tobacco and drugs into the ex-Soviet Union. And also the biggest persecutor of people who do not belong to that organization. And in this international conference, he came as an invitee. We were declared to be an outlawed sect. There are only three religions that are really kosher in the ex-Soviet Union, Russia and Ukraine. That is the Russian Orthodox Church, the Jewish believers, and the Muslims. Because the Jews and the Muslims are no threat to the Orthodox Church that has a policy to grind into the ground. Any person who is a Roman Catholic or a Baptist or an Adventist, or a Pentecostal, or a Jehovah's Witness, they do not have the right to preach, is the cry of the Orthodox Church. And representatives from those organizations were there from America and from Europe, and they have said, we will certainly get rid of these people. Now, Ukraine is the freest. Russia is closing. Ukraine is still free. Other places like Afghanistan, all those countries that end in Stan, 
the stand countries, are hell holes where Protestants are being tortured, beaten, murdered by the state church, the Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church. Mr. Putin, even though he's an old KGB chief and is an unbeliever, is first and foremost a Russian nationalist and he says this is the church of Russia everything else we're going to get rid of. There's a storm coming. The dean told me of believers of my own church who have been tortured, believers from the Baptist church who have been tortured and murdered in those countries. The door is closing. The president of our church in Russia drove all the way from Moscow down to Nepropetrovsk to come and see me with his committee to say, in the name of God, we ask you to come and preach in our country before the doors close. I had delegations that came from other places where they came and they said, the doors are closing. Can you please tell the American people not to forget us? We're sick of talk and we're sick of promises. The last word Vadim said to me when I shook his hand, I love that young man. He said to me, Pastor Carter, please don't forsake us. Please don't forsake us. Don't give up on us, please. So we have invitations from Siberia and so many places where the doors are still open. Let me tell you now of a mother's love and a father's love. When some of our team members were going back a little earlier than the rest of us because they'd done such a good job and it was time for them to go, I was saying goodbye to them at the front of the hotel and an old babushka, that's a grandmother, came up to me on crutches. She did not recognize me and she said, I want to talk to John Carter. She was weeping and they, the folks were inclined to push her away. Vadim said, let her speak. Then he said, she's one of our sisters. And the story was she was on crutches because she'd been run over by a motor car. And her son had been run over by a motor car and he was in hospital and he was dying. And he needed 80, he needed 30 grievners, $6 to save his life. She had been to our own church and they had said, no, we have no money for this because they don't. She said to me, don't let my son die. Don Beagle had a hundred grievances, which is $20. He gave it to her. She recognized me and threw her arms around me and kissed me and came on the final night and said, in the name of God, thank you. A mother's love for a dying son. God loves you as much as that, much more. A father's love. One night before the meetings, I noticed Alexander was there with a young pastor, and the pastor was weeping copiously. And I came to Alexander, I said, what's the problem? He said, his son has been beaten up at school. These are still vicious countries. They're vicious because of communism. If you take God out of your lives, there's nothing left, my friend, except viciousness. He'd been beaten up and he'd been beaten up so much they trample on him and his collarbone came out, broke out through his skin. His arm was broken, bone sticking out everywhere. They rushed him to hospital. I'd hate to go into one of those hospitals, but he was in there with intensive care, with a good doctor, with limited resources. He said, how can I pay the bill? How can I pay the bill? One of our team members stepped forward, Ron Barclay, for his eternal credit and paid the bill. A father's love, don't let my boy die. A mother's love, don't let my boy die. How much God loves us. How much God loves his people. Can I tell you the difference between a true believer and a put on? A true believer loves the people that God loves. It's the difference. 
in the judgment, we're not going to be judged over our correctness in theology. We're going to be judged over our relationship to people. Jesus said, inasmuch. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And Paul said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then he said, how shall they call on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear unless someone tells them? And how shall someone tell them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. I bring before you today the greatest, the largest, neglected mission field in the world. A mission field of 290 million people, literate, still with enough weapons to wipe out America a thousand times over. More scientists per population than any other part of the world. Sophisticated, intelligent, and dying for the gospel. We saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We saw thousands of people come to God. We saw seven new churches started. Worshipping today, seven new churches in that part of the world. And to you, and to all of our supporters across this great land, across North America, we say, Spasiba, thank you, in the name of God, and Slava Bogu, which means praise be to God. I want you to bow your heads. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you today that your gospel is still the most potent force in the world. Help us to allow you to work in our hearts. And God, if you can convert and change the hearts of old KGB chiefs and other unbelievers, you can do it for every one of us. There's nothing too hard for you. We thank you that today over there, in Nepropetrosk, there are seven brand new Christian believing, commandment keeping churches because these people cared enough to make it possible. Bless them today. Oh God, put a fire in our hearts to understand we've only just begun. So bless us all today. We worship you and we thank you we ask your blessing upon these beautiful people in Jesus' name. Amen.